Hello and welcome to Around the World. Uh, we are back. I'm Dylan. I'm here with Drags. And today joining us is Bjarni Dyson, uh, coming over from Germany. Uh, Bjarni played for Holsten Kiel uh, and made it as far as the reserves team, which play in the fourth tier in Germany, while the first team resides in the second tier currently. He then went to West Virginia where he was a third-team All-American last season on a team that made it all the way to the Elite Eight, and he finished the season ranked as the number 26 player in America by the Top Drawer Soccer uh, Top 100. He then uh, is currently playing in the USL 2, the fourth tier of American soccer, and got ranked by the league as the number four ranked prospect in the country. So, Bjarni, welcome. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm, I'm good. I, uh, thanks for the invitation. No problem, man. No, uh, we're, we're really happy to have you here. Um, you're, you're killing the game right now. And uh, so before we talk about anything soccer, uh, I, I want you to, is it, is it true that your dad invented a card game for your entire town? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. No, we got it in our hometown. I think I showed you when we, we were on vacation, right, in Mexico. Yeah. Like, it's basically a drinking game. And... Yeah, at the beginning, it's it's pretty simple. You just say a card, and whoever picks that card has to drink. That's pretty much the game. And <laughs> the further it goes, the more cards you pick. Like, you show, like, oh, I got forced to pick 10 cards because I don't care when I drink. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so it's, it's literally it's just simple. a profusely hard drinking game is what yeah, I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also, uh, it's also a show of ego, if I yeah. remember correctly. Because uh, so I think I think it's something like you, you pick one card, let's say the Ace of Hearts, right? And you say that's your card, and then uh, you put all all fifty two cards on the table, and you can grab one card and hope that oh, it's not the Ace, and then you don't have to drink. But uh, you know the way that uh, Bjarni was teaching us was you can grab like half the deck, and then you screw <laughs> over the person next to you if you don't get that card. So yeah, it's yeah. hilarious. Oh, that's great. Uh, so Bjarni, Bjarni so has some uh, the the Thiessen family is has ties has ties into uh into Kiel, Greater Kiel, Germany. A very important family over there. Because of that, yeah. That's hilarious. Well, yeah. Thanks, Bjarni, again uh, for joining us today. We're super excited. You have an awesome story. Um, so I guess we'll just get right into it. Um, so. First, we're just kind of wondering from a broad perspective um, how the Kiel Academy system treated you when you were a young player. Um, so kind of how was it growing up in that academy system um, and what did you kind of get out of that? Um, I would say I had a pretty good time. Like if Kiel is like a pretty club where it's more like family, you know, you have that the big clubs like by Munich and stuff and everybody's kind of for their own and just hard working and the kids like family stuff you could see like the locker rooms from under 17 under 19 under 23 are right next to the uh, professional locker room like in the same building you see them every day they say hello and stuff they everybody's so nice to each other and I think that's what Kiel is about like watching Kiel is about and yeah, I came over there under sixteen team and played I think six years to under twenty-three. Nice. Yeah. 
That's pretty cool, man. And um, you not only played in the academy, uh, if I'm correct, you graduated to you made it to the second team eventually, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what what was that experience like? I mean, it's one thing to be signed for the academy. That's still actually very very impressive for a team like Killets in the second tier. Um, but then to get promoted to the to the second team to the reserve team that's that's in the fourth tier, uh, which is which is a high high level over in Germany. What was that like for you? I actually had a quite hard time in the, in the second team because I barely played. I had like I think one starting experience, some some subs in. Um, when I came up in the in the second team, I was injured. I think for three months, so I lost the whole preseason and I never really got into the team in my first year. Um, the year before I, I got in the second team, they promoted in the fourth division. So a lot of players stayed. Then in the second team also always the problem is that yeah, you get the players from the first team, right? If they don't play in the first team, you get them. And I remember there was one defender and he was my year and he just came from, from Schalke. Signed for the first team, and he actually you could tell he played every every game in our team. So mm. one one spot was seated, then another spot for the captain. Then we had one two more very good centerbacks, I have to say. And yeah, there was no place for me. But at the same time, I have to say, coach was always so fair to me. Like they always gave me the chance to sub in. They would they talked to me and stuff. So I can't, I can't really be mad about them. You know what I mean? Because they were fair. Yeah, that makes sense. So how was that for you kind of dealing with that? Um, that whole thing about kind of not getting as much playing time as, as you kind of anticipated. Um, so how did that, how was that for you mentally? How was that for like your development and things like that? How did you kind of get around maybe not getting as many minutes um, as you, as you would have liked? Yeah. The first year, in the first year, as I said, I was injured for those first three months. So I told myself after winter, I want to come back, like preseason and winter for, for the second period of the season. Didn't work out that good, to be honest, but at the end, I got some games. So I got subbed in after 45 minutes and stuff. So I was quite hopeful, like, okay, it was my first season, men's level, it's different. It's just not the youth style anymore. It's more like long balls, heading, bodies, real man and mm -hmm. so yeah after my first year i thought oh okay maybe in my second year i get more chances because now i i got i got what man's level is about mm -hmm. and yeah but it didn't start that good either in the second year and then before winter i was close to to leave the club to go to another fourth division club also close to me like one hour further away and then we got some injuries and the coach told me, hey, I can't let you leave. That's basically the story. So I said, yeah, okay, if you say you can't let me leave, then you better play me in the second period. <laughs> they wanted to leave in the winter. And, but then, yeah, COVID hit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that that's tough. COVID definitely was uh, <clears throat> a hitch in a lot of people's careers. But Bjorn, you mentioned, yeah, you understood eventually what men's soccer was all about compared to youth. 
Can you talk to us a little bit? I know you said physicality, but what's that jump like? Yeah, going from a youth, still a professional team, but now you're, now you're playing men's professional football over in Europe. What's that like? I would say it's, it's a huge step. It's The game just shifts so much, and the youth is all about playing flat passes, short passes, um, a lot of tactical stuff. And I would say the lower professional or semi-professional leagues in Germany are all about physicality, long balls, headers, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah I think you see that in a lot of places as well. Just <clears throat> um, I feel like it's more when you make that jump um, from who we've talked to. It's about like you're supposed to have at that point that technical background um, kind of in place. Everyone's technical. Everyone's a technical player at that level. So it's what can make you um, stand out at that level um, and kind of like separate you in that way. Um, and as you said, it's more physical, more physical attributes, um, more IQ, soccer IQ that becomes super important. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I'm just kind of curious what. Um, so obviously, as you made that jump and you played with a lot of players, obviously, um, throughout your time at the youth level um, and then to the professional team at Kiel. But um, were there any players that you played with throughout your life? um that are kind of making a name for themselves now um in any way kind of maybe on the world stage or that have signed some contracts for some some bigger teams um or anything like that yeah i have to say surprisingly there's nobody who's really in the i don't think i played with anybody who's now in the, in the first Bundesliga. Okay. i got a few players who signed pro contracts like in the second and third division mm -hmm. and at the end, no, a world career, nobody did so far. I have to say, we had some good players in the, in the under-19 Bundesliga level in my first year there. Mm -hmm. um, our striker was the best scorer in the country. So wow. I figured he would he would maybe go somewhere, but I think he's now playing second league in Turkey or something. Mm -hmm. If I follow that right. So it's more about the players I played against. Um, I don't know if you guys know Nico Schlatterberg. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. yep. We just went to Dortmund. I played a couple of times against him. Yeah, and some other guys were now. But yeah. Nobody from my own team. Yeah. Well, uh Bjorn, uh after Kiel, um, you ended up you ended up going to West Virginia. Um, and that's that's a pretty big shift. Uh and we'll maybe we'll get into the, the cultural aspects uh later in the in the episode. But just from a soccer perspective, what what is it what was that change like for you? Um, if I'm honest, I have to say the level drop, drop for sure. It's more, it's more youth soccer again. Mm -hmm. It's more like mm -hmm. a lot of tactical stuff. And I mean, we played with 17 years old and before I played with, I don't know, 33 years old. Right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a, it's a difference again, but with our coaches, I have to say from the practice standpoint, it's, it's, it's not a huge difference. Like they, Pretty much practice like we did in Kiel. A lot of tactical stuff, a lot of video analysis. Yeah, looking what the next opponent is about to do and preparing for it. That's pretty much it in the season. Yeah, um, I'm interested because you you mentioned a lot about kind of that physicality jump that you had to take um, when you went to the professional level. And I think when you talk to a lot of people about college soccer. Um, it is more of a physical, a physical game 
um, here in, in America for in the, especially the college aspect, um, a lot more long balls and stuff, but it seemed like you were, you were pretty accustomed to that, um, in your old team, which I feel like kind of helped your transition in that way. Would you say that, would you say that kind of helped you that kind of yeah, style? Yeah. yeah, you could say that. Um, I also think here, I would describe physicality here with, with the running aspect because mm. in Germany, no, no team, because you can subs substitute as much as you want so the running part is insane like how (laughs) it's pressing the whole game everybody's just running 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 i would i would describe that as a physicality stuff here because like as you said experienced players are more smart about the physicality Mm -hmm. like how they use their body and stuff but yeah it's a lot of physicality here too you could say that Right. Yeah, well, we were talking to a, a Victor kid on our team of Villanova. And, uh, yeah, he was mentioning the same thing when he when he played in Europe as well. And he was he was kind of saying how uh, there's such a tactical acumen that you don't need to be as fit because he said you know where you have to be ahead of time. You can read the rhythm of the game, that kind of thing, kind of along the same lines as what you're saying where the fitness almost becomes, it's obviously still important. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, you still have to be fit, yeah. but uh, the thinking is just at such a high level that uh, you don't have to run as much because you don't have to make up all, you know, these mistakes being in the wrong spot or whatever. Um, yeah. So it's pretty interesting that obviously you guys both were different countries, but both pl- grew up uh, playing in Europe and you guys have some similar takeaways, but uh so you you go to Kiel, um, you make it to the second team, and you had some ups and downs, um, but then you end up at West Virginia. So that's that's a pretty unique uh, situation to to be going from Kiel all the way to uh, West Virginia, America. And I know yeah. you've you've talked to me a, a little bit about that, uh, what that's been like. But um, for the listeners, uh, what what's that experience been like for you? Uh, you know soccer but but also away from soccer and also um if you could walk us through how that happened how you ended up at west virginia from keel yeah so as i said i was not really happy the key because i didn't play mm-hmm. and <clears throat> and a friend of mine uh, told me about this opportunity in america college soccer and stuff obviously we heard we heard of that before but it was never interesting because when you're in the under 19 and stuff you still think, oh, I want to go pro here. I want to try it here. And sorry. And um, yeah, he told me about it. And I watched videos and all that stuff. And at the end, we ended up with three guys out of my team who I wanted to try it. One ended up in UConn. The one who actually wanted to do it stayed at the end at home. <laughs> and I. I ended up at West Virginia with an agency, got some offers in, made my highlight video like everybody else, I would say. They came over, watched me play, and at the end, I I flew over for a visit with the school. And I would say at the end, the coaches were the guys who made made the difference in going there. Because I had, had really good conversations with them, and they made good impressions, and I still think they're crazy good coaches and good persons as well. Right. Yeah. That's super important, man. Um, And I think 
it's something often overlooked, just the importance of that relationship that you have with the coaches. It's so important because you're going to be spending a lot, a lot of time with those coaches, especially in college soccer. Um, and they, you got to make sure they have your back. And it sounds like they do at West Virginia for you, which is awesome. But also we're interested in just that transition in terms of um, coming from Germany to America, specifically like West Virginia. Um, and kind of that's obviously a lot different um, just in terms of like culture and stuff. Um, so what have you noticed as you made that um, transition just culturally moving from Germany to West Virginia moving so far away from home um, and things like that? Yeah, I don't know if I can say that much about the culture in West Virginia because we're like a college town and I just so I'm just around students I would say I'm not really around a lot of people there mm -hmm. but um, first of all I would say in America everybody's so nice to each other at the beginning like always with this hey how are you and stuff in Germany everybody's just like for their own and also how you how people take you here like you come over from overseas my English pretty bad and but people, people take you and especially in a team, I think it makes it always easier if you're in a team, you always have from the beginning on, I don't know, 28 friends around you <laughs> and they take care of you. And I think that's what college soccer is kind of about because I know we always hang around with the team. We always, if we party, it's, it's everybody's invited from the team. It's, it's always a team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, th I, that's something really special about uh, being on a college team. Um, I remember similar thing uh, walking on campus when I was a freshman and it's pretty scary. It's probably even scarier for you because at least I was coming from America, but you're coming all the way from Germany. Um, yeah. But it's, it's really special to, to get on campus. And I was lucky. We, we have a great uh, team and locker room over at Villanova and the older guys were, were there waiting for me, uh, ready to help me move in. And uh, it's just it makes you feel more at home. Um, and so now you're, you're entering your third year, correct? Yeah. At Virginia. And wh what do you what do you think? Do you do you think it's starting to feel like home for you a little bit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's <clears throat> like so far, not that many players left because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So now was the first year where actually some some friends left. And next year would be even worse because even more guys leave and but i think yeah that's kind of the hard part about college right because you make so many friends and then they go in every direction in the world mm -hmm. and yeah you don't know how, how often you will see them again yeah. but yeah no i feel definitely home man <clears throat> yeah that's awesome oh i'm glad that that all worked out for you and you found a great home i think um at west virginia um and you said as you just mentioned, you know, there's not a lot of guys leaving this past or this year because of the COVID rules and stuff, which I think will benefit you guys a lot. Obviously, you guys had a very, very successful season last year, made it to the Elite Eight um, and have a great core coming back, as you just mentioned. So can you talk to us about um, that run last year to the Elite Eight and what made that team special? Um, I think, first of all, we didn't have like one player who was exceptional. It was like more the whole team. Mm -hmm. I think um, this style of recruiting our coach has is more like tries to get a lot of good players in and not like one, two, three, four amazing players. So we, we substitute a lot, especially in the front. 
So we try to bring fit players in at every point in the games and after 20 minutes, fresh guys in and stuff. And yeah, I think most important part was our defensive shape. Like how we, but you can you can only say it was it was a back three or the goalkeeper or whatever because how the whole team worked defensively was sometimes insane. I've never seen tens working so hard defensively, making sprints over thirty yards just just to defend. And I was not used to that to be honest. And I'm very glad they did because it ended up how it ended up. We lack a little bit of of goal scoring, but I still think how we transition from the back to the front is pretty good. And it's just sometimes the last pass or the last good touch, the last shot that that missed. Otherwise, I think, or I still think we could have gone even further. As you guys maybe know, we, we lost in a penalty shootout. So it's, yeah, it's kind of luck then, right? Yeah. Well, listen, you guys were you guys were one of the elite teams in college soccer uh, this past year. Um, not only did you make it to the Elite Eight, which is obviously e- extremely impressive, but you played some top teams in the regular season. Uh, you guys beat Pitt, who's one of the one of the top programs currently in the country. Uh, you played Georgetown penalty out. Obviously, you know you ended up losing, but Georgetown. Uh, you know, a, a national champion uh, two years ago, I believe, and just a program that is also um, is, is flying high and it's a really good team. And you guys took them all the way to penalties. So I think there's no debating. Um, you guys are one of the best teams in the country. Um, and you guys obviously played, you know, once you make it to the Elite Eight. And also I know like the game against Pitt, for example, is a huge atmosphere. Uh, what, what was it like playing in some of these big atmosphere games in America? It was it was actually so cool because I have to be honest in my old club we didn't have them that often. Since we are a second team, like everybody obviously cares more about the, the first team. We had a we had a derby against against our rival and their first team and they used to play our first team. So it was still a big game. But otherwise we didn't have these these huge games and here in college it was yeah, if we get the home crowd with more than 2,000 fans and stuff. It, it's just cool. And you see them next morning in the classroom or you see them on the streets and they tell you, yeah, great game yesterday and stuff. Yeah, it's just a cool feeling. Yeah. Yeah, man. No, that's awesome. I know West Virginia has one of the sickest atmospheres and stadiums that I've seen in college soccer, just like looking at videos and stuff. So I can only imagine what it is to play in that week in and week out, which is really, really cool. Um, but yeah, so kind of moving to, to to more personal things for you. So as we mentioned in the beginning in our intro, um, you're starting to get some na- national rec- recognition personally, obviously coming in at number 26 on top drawer, um, top 100, and number four ranked um, in the most recent USL2 player rankings. So what has that opened up for you? How does that, um, how does that feel to kind of get this na- national recognition? Um, and and yeah, what 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 do you what do you think about all that stuff um, to you? Well, it's it's obviously cool. I'm very grateful for it. Um, but at the same time, I know it wouldn't be possible without without a good team around me. It's the same now in the USL too, where we have been currently ranked number one in the nation. I know that helps. Like that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. And 
I know America is a lot about this ranking and putting like one player out and saying like he's he's so good and rank him somewhere or whatever. And yeah, I think it it just helps, right? It, it can just help me, but I I don't want to put too much in it. I just still want to focus on my game and and get better and not think that I'm already there where I want to be. No, that's that's a really that's a that's a really mature way to approach it, and um, it's definitely probably part of the reason that that you are getting all these accolades is because that's how you are approaching a uh, you know every game and every training and your mindset. Um, but like you said, it it can only help you. Um, and so, has it opened up any doors? Have you had any opportunities um, that have come from all this national recognition on top of you obviously being a very good player? Yeah. Um, you see, like, I might uh, join some combines for some MLS or MLS Next teams this summer. But, yeah, we will see. I, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. That's good, though, man. I, I, I really think. Get some invitations, but I'm not sure if it's, like, in the season and stuff. We have to mm -hmm. see. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. Um, and best of luck with all that. Um, I'm confident that, that everything's going to pan out well for you. Um Thanks. One thing, one thing I'm interested in though too is um, your decision to 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 play USL two to play for Long Island Rough Riders. So this is, I believe is your second season now with them, correct? This this yeah. season right now, right? Um, so, what kind of made you decide to, to play USL two? And now that you've played it for two years, do you think USL two specifically Long Island Rough Riders being an elite team? I think you mentioned they're number one right now, um, ranked in the in all of USL two. So how has that how's that contributed to your personal development as a player um, and stuff like that? Um, first of all, I think it's a great opportunity because, <clears throat> like, actually playing. I mean, you have some spring games, but they're just exhibition games and just like what is it, five six games. So like, actually playing for something in the summer and not having a break of three months before before the fall starts, a great opportunity. And yeah, the level is decent. There are some good college players, especially in the in the region. Like a lot of ACC schools send their players here, so we're playing at a very good level, I think. And yeah, it just it just helps. Like it's not only about staying fit, but also about playing competitive soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I think it's I think it's a interesting and and it's a very healthy dynamic. At Rough Riders, like you said, uh, there's players from all over the country and it's a competition, you know, just to get into the squad. Um, and it's obviously a competition to get on the field. And like you said, um, that can only help uh, in your in your drive and your your desire. Um, yeah, right. It might be might be a, a different playing style again. And if you're kind of stuck it's i don't know if that's the right word at west virginia and you play like for four years the same things but might be good to get some different opinion in and some yeah some different points of coaching yeah exactly exactly and and it's just it's good it's a good environment to be in right i think like you always want to push yourself i think you're a guy with pro aspirations and definitely pro potential and like you have to you have to stay uncomfortable and put yourself in these situations where uh you know you're you're pushing yourself as that's that's really probably the best way to reach anybody's potential um 
but you mentioned uh, you mentioned how the college soccer season is structured. Now I'm not sure if you're aware, Drex. What's the new model called? The new the model. Twenty first century model. Yeah. Do you know about that, Bjorn? Yeah. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? Um. Yeah, I think if college soccer wants to stay competitive, it might have to to shift in that direction because it's just such a long time from the fall season. It's how long is it? Nine months till till the season starts again. Yeah. Yeah. Nine months without competitive or that competitive soccer. It's just some friendly games, and if you can play USL two, you play USL two maybe. But I also know it's not possible for everybody to play it because of financial reasons or whatever it is. Like if you're not from here, you have to find housing or a spot in where you want to play. So if college wants to take a pet, I think it's the right way to go that way. Mm-hmm. But I can also not say how much it would change the whole the whole game because. Right. As I know, we might play when might the season starts earlier, I think, end of summer already, or goes into summer or something like that. So probably USA two would die from college soccer. Right. Like mm-hmm. college players wouldn't play it anymore. And yeah, so Yeah. There yeah, are also it's... some negatives about it, I'm pretty yeah. sure. That's yeah. what I, that's what I was gonna say is there's definitely pros and cons and obviously it didn't pass the vote, like it got voted on I think last spring, um, and it didn't pass the vote. Um, Drax, I don't know if you you know a little bit more about it than me, but I think it's an interesting talking point. I just want to I want to talk about it for a little bit. But for the listeners and for anyone who doesn't know Drax, could you go into the details of it? Right. Yeah. Um, so I was I actually represented Villanova on a call for it um, with our with our head coach, <clears throat> and essentially um, it's being pushed pretty heavily by the ACC. Um, and Big Ten, Maryland, and North Carolina kind of leading the charge. And what it is, is it's basically extending the college season into the spring. So essentially, you'll have two segments where kind of like a more traditional season where you'll play the first half of your season in the fall semester, have a little a break again that winter, have another preseason, and then continue on into the spring and play your college cup as Bjarni mentioned, around May, so in the warmer weather, but also trickling into the summer, I think the College Cup final would look at some point like beginning of June, so or maybe end of May, around that timeline. So that's kind of the general overview of it. And obviously you have the pros of, you know, it's pushing to to make the players miss less class. That's a big, that's a big push because you're going to have one game a week now as opposed to two two games a week, maybe three games in 10 days, something like that. It would definitely spread the games out more, miss less class, reduce the risk of injuries. Um, things of that nature are the pros being put forth. And then obviously the cons, um, as you mentioned, kind of cannibalizing USL2, as Bjorn mentioned. Um, other things like, you know, the draft is a big, is a big talking point because the draft right now is slated um, in the winter time when and then the players would pick up kind of for the regular preseason with MLS teams starting in in the winter spring months um so that's a big question surrounding it whether or not um that could that could be possible if players would end up just leaving <laughs> leaving their teams mid-season and then going to the MLS kind of poses some issues in that way um and there is a lot of pushback for, from some from certain programs about it 
Um, you know, I think Notre Dame's a big program um, that has pushed back and it's kind of divided um, from conference to conference about um, who's for it and who's against it. Um, so that's kind of obviously tabled it as Dylan mentioned for now, um, but it will be voted on again. So it's super interesting. Um, times may be changing for college soccer. And as Bjorn mentioned, um, it's, it is important to kind of do this, in my opinion, to keep up with um, the European model. If, if U.S. soccer wants to become competitive and kind of provide this amateur route um, that college soccer provides and, and, and make, it, make it successful and make it competitive with European leagues, to me, it, it seems like a no-brainer and it seems like something that should happen. But I don't know if you guys have any other opinions on it. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I I am totally for it. I think there's a number of uh, issues and topics to touch on regarding that 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 make it a, a really good decision. The first, um, to me, that that I think of um, coming from an academy program. Uh, so uh, basically, the academies in America have now adopted uh, the European model. The model, Bjorn, I'm sure that you know you're used to, which is where you train all week and then you play one, you know, on the weekend. Right. So Bjorn, you did that over at uh, Kiel. Yeah, exactly. And so, so what that ties into is my second point, which is there's that in in that situation, there's an emphasis on development, which is super important. Um, For those that don't know, or just, you know, haven't been part of it and uh, Bjorn being part of an academy in, in Europe and then coming to America, maybe you can touch on this after, um, but it's really hard to develop in the college season. It's hard to get better. Um, and that's not because, you know, the coaches are bad. There's it, it, the coaching, the coaching pool in, in division one is, is really solid. It's every coach that has their job deserves to be there. Um, and they're highly qualified with licenses and uh, tactical acumen and knowledge, but it's just, it's next to impossible to develop and train at a high level when you have games every three days. Um, and obviously you need your recovery in there. You have your travel. Um, so it leads to, you know, when you get into the middle of the college season, you're kind of uh, playing every two days with like the third day being a recovery day or, or lift or something like that. So I think if, if they move to this uh, 21st century model, then it would give college players uh, a chance to develop more, uh, which is obviously something that, um, they need if they're going to enter the draft and we do see a shift uh, to be candid of, you know, teams are MLS teams are not participating in the draft as much. Uh, a lot of teams are just, you know, trading their picks for money um, or trading it to expansion teams because they don't see a ton of players in the college pool that can uh, contribute uh, imminently. Um, so I think for college soccer, especially, uh, it's really important because I think there is a pro pathway being developed and it's almost uh, turning into strictly through academies. When you look at like a Philly union, an FC Dallas, uh, they're taking players, you know, put them in the youth ranks, grow them through the academy and then graduate them to the first team. And obviously by no means is that wrong. I mean, that's, that's really kind of the goal. Uh, that's kind of what, what America, uh, the MLS and American soccer is is trying to do. Uh, but as far as keeping college soccer relevant uh, and, and allowing a pathway for uh, college soccer to graduate to the professional ranks, I think it's super important. Um, but Bjorn, do you have anything to, to say about that? Yeah, I I can only agree. I can 
touch on on what you said about developing because um if you have every three three days a game you have just next day um regeneration and then preparation for the next day right uh, for the next game so that's that's your whole week and if you think about one game in a week you have uh, regeneration so longer even longer time to to do that and then you have three four days to do something to work on you and then still the day for preparation for the next opponent and it's also about the lifts you um you talked about in the spring i don't know how often you guys lift but i think we had three days of lifting and in the fall we barely lift because there's no time like you can play a game lift the next day and play a game two days later again just not possible you need your regeneration so like it's at the moment i feel like it's basically jacking like doing something for you in the spring to be ready for the fall and basically lose a lot of it in the fall so you go again in the in the spring and try to put some weight on again mm -hmm. yeah exactly it's it's nearly to, to go on that like as dylan mentioned it's it's and and you're mentioning it's nearly impossible to to change your body in the fall right you got to come in ex extremely fit you gotta it's kind of a, a grind as we all as we all know it's it's put your head down and grind a lot of games game after game kind of no time to recover when you do recover um it may not be as to the to the best of your ability a lot of guys play through knocks all season um and things like that it's just and you're, you're not playing to your full potential at that point and and that's why i i, I think for me as i already mentioned i think it's a, it's a great a great proposal um and a good thing for college soccer from my perspective and i think we all agree here um just in terms of spreading it out allowing for development which is the most important thing at our age um still and yeah as dylan mentioned like these these academies um that like philly union and fc dallas as dylan mentioned they're they're moving away from the draft and i think what college soccer is doing with this proposal is how can we stay competitive how can we still because there's still a lot a lot of quality in college soccer as we all know a lot of quality players a lot of guys that deserve to be pro um that maybe don't get the chance because they're playing with a knock they 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 don't you know they they aren't i don't know there's just there's a, there's hurdles that they have to go over that that that'll that disallow them from making from reaching their full potential at all times um so it's super interesting and i think it's a great great point that you brought up dill yeah and also you know, on the topic of Knox, the NCAA season in the fall, it almost becomes like a war of attrition by the time you get to the conference tournament, by the time you get to the national tournament. It's like, who's the healthiest, mm -hmm. you know? And I think Drags mentioned it uh, on the last episode. If you get a three-week knock in the college season, you're missing, like, what'd you say, Drags, 25%? 25% of the season or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So imagine, like, you know, Bjorn, I mean, you imagine you roll your ankle, you sprain your ankle, and you just can't go for three weeks. I mean, that's West Virginia's without one of their top players for like a quarter of the season. Um, and I think the essence of sports, I think like how every athlete should want it, and, and I think, you know, you guys do, it's like you want to play the other team's best players, their best version of their team, and have your best version of your team, and then may the best team win. But I think that's lost a little bit, uh, definitely towards the tail end of college soccer. Like I said, once you get to the conference tournaments, once you get to the national tournaments, because guys are playing through injuries like a month in because soccer's I, I believe soccer is really tough to play 
like three games a week. I mean, it's not like basketball um, or, you know, any other sport where, you know, maybe you can play on like a back to back, for example. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I, I was just watching the NHL playoffs and it's, it's turned, it turned into a little bit of who's the healthiest, who can get the most guys on the ice. And it just made me think so much of college soccer. Like a lot of the times the teams at the end of the day, at the, you know, winning their conference, uh, winning the natty, they're probably, they're probably still, uh, you know, the best team or deserving of, of their trophy, but they're also probably the healthiest. Um, and I think if we do move to this 21st century model, we will see the quality shine through. We will see a healthy team uh, put out by every university uh, playing their best players, um, competing against other universities' best players. And I think that's the product we're all, you know, aiming for. Yeah. And just to add on to that, Dill, I think we're talking about, um, like, it's it's literally, uh, what I'm trying to get at is there's you there's such a, it's so difficult for for teams as you mentioned to, to really get the best version of themselves and i'm interested because bjorn was mentioning the, the rotation at west virginia how much they rotate players and stuff like that um and if that would you know that's 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 essential in the college model as it is now because you have to have a really deep team because you need to keep your guys healthy you got to keep them fresh for the big games for for the end of the season for the conference tournament and national tournament um, and I would wonder if this would like kind of shift recruiting in a way, because as Dylan mentioned, you have time to, to develop, uh, or sorry, to stay healthy and get your best players out more, um, and things of that. If you're only having one things of that nature, if you're only having one game, um, a week. And so I think it would change a lot in college soccer. Um, and that just being one example of it, um, because you do see a lot of the most successful teams rotating a lot and putting, you know, and rotating, um, as Bjorn mentioned, West Virginia rotates their front line a lot, um, and things of that nature. And I would wonder if that would shift things a little bit. And I think it would. Um, and I think it's better for the game, um, getting your quality players as Dill mentioned out on the field, um, for every game. Yeah. That that's something that I think is, is pretty unique with college soccer is there's a lot of teams, um, that maybe don't have the same uh, quality as other teams as like the powerhouses, but there's a real equalizer in the line shift mentality where you can play 20 minutes and then put basically like, I mean, as many guys as you want, you could change 11, but like a lot of teams, for example, will put on, you know, like an entirely new front line or they'll change their center mids. So there's always fit guys. Everyone always has energy. And I think there would be a little bit more of a gap developed if we did have we went to fifa rules where yeah you're allowed three or five subs but it's a one-time sub and yeah you you know obviously you play once a week so then everyone's on the field i think that would actually change the college landscape uh pretty significantly do you have any experience with that uh Bjarni, playing in, in your college career where you've seen something like that where you know you're the better team but it's a tough game because of the way the rules are structured yeah a lot of times the last season especially like I think we we pretty much beat the the teams that were pretty good, like ranked teams and stuff. And out of nowhere, we we tie we tie a team that's I don't know number 180 in the RPI or something. Like mm -hmm. just out of nowhere, we play one one against them. That's pretty much what what was it about? Yeah, last part for us. Yeah, and you see it everywhere. I mean, it's 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 definitely a thing, and uh, and I would say. Uh, 
not a problem, but it's, it's just unique about college soccer. It's a very unique thing. You don't see it a lot. Like if you're watching soccer on TV, the professional leagues, like it's, it's very, very different game. And I think the outsider doesn't really understand as, as much as, much as us players do. Um, and I think it's very useful for the listeners just to get, just get a two cents about, um, everything, everything that it is and, um, kind of what it takes to be successful at, at the college level. So that's awesome. I love that. Um, that point though. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so Bjorn, just, just to finish here, um, we're interested in just, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but <clears throat> we're interested in, um, just, just how long has it been since, since you've been home in Germany, as, as we talked about your, your playing in the summers here, um, in USL two, obviously you're staying in the States. Um, how long has it been since, since you've been home and what is that like for you kind of being away from home, away from Kiel, away from Germany, um, for so long? Um, so how's that been? Um, yeah, normally I just go home for the winter at the moment. Yeah. Um, just for, for a month over Christmas. And I have to say it's, it's not that hard as I expected it. Like at the beginning, I thought before I came over, I thought, um, I would, I would go home for summer three months and winter one month and I, I wouldn't miss home that much because you're just three months away gone and then you, you're there for a month. So it's, it's like basically living in, in both countries. But now, like, I don't miss it that much because you get so many impressions. You get, you meet so many new people. It's, there's barely time, like, just to think about, oh, what it's like being home right now or think about your family. And then, Nowadays, you get so many opportunities with FaceTime and all that stuff. So I talk to my parents, my family, my friends a lot. And yeah, I'm I'm pretty comfortable over here in, in West Virginia or now in Long Island. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good, man. That's that's awesome. And, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Um, Like you said, uh, it's pretty unique and special and it makes it easier to, to show up on campus and have 28 friends who just want the best for you. Uh, right away and it's it's good to hear that uh you know that that's paying off and, and you do feel comfortable i'm interested bjorn um if you if you had a friend in germany one of your one of your buddies back home and you guys had a week in america what would or he had a week in america what would you tell him to do if he had one week go to spring break and fall out of there <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that is that would be amazing advice. That you're you're a good friend. You're a good friend for uh for telling him that because I think I, I think I would say the same thing. I think I would say the same exact thing. I would so. say that yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree. That is you that is a very college American answer, and I love it. That is just yeah. that's that is perfect. That is perfect. Yeah, I <laughs> know yeah, you 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 have been here. You do get it, Bjorn. You you've been here long <laughs> enough with that answer. I think uh, that that's a great answer. Um well moving on, we're gonna move on to our biggest winners and losers. Uh this segment will um touch on who's what's going well in the soccer world, uh what's not going as well. Um so I'll kick it off with my biggest winner. Uh my biggest winner of the week is Hungary. And uh, that might be surprising to a few people if they haven't been tuned in to everything going on. Understandable because it's the international break and it's not even a real one because it's a Nations League. And if you listen to a previous episode, you know, you know my thoughts on that. Um, but listen, it's still a platform for these nations to compete and especially a team like Hungary. That's I don't think they're going to be in the World Cup. 
so this is this is kind of it for them um, until the World Cup ends and then the next cycle begins. Uh, so it's it's very important. And if you look at what Hungary did over the past week, all they did is uh, play four games and they sit atop a group that includes Germany, Italy, and England. And uh, how they did that is by beating England one nothing in Hungary, uh, tying Germany. Losing to Italy in a, in a 2-1 loss, which was, was a hard-fought game. And then the kicker is going to England and beating England 4-0 away. And that was just probably, the I would say, the biggest result from the entire international break. Um, if you want to go into it really quick, uh, Roman Salai scored for them in the 16th minute. Salai scored again in the 70th. Nagy scored in the 80th. John Stones got a red in the 82nd. And Gaz Dog scored in the 89th minute to make it uh, a 4-0 game at the Molyneux. And uh, so for me, they're, they're the biggest winners of the week. They, they ran the gauntlet, and uh, I think they did something that no one could have anticipated. So well done, Hungary. No, um, it's that's a great one, Dill. And I'm just thinking – like the in terms of like just like the World Cup and the groups group of death. Like imagine, imagine. Like I'm just thinking. Like imagine. Like this was at like a World Cup, and this was like the group, and you see Hungary sitting atop yeah. with two games left, and like it's just it's crazy. And it's it's hats off to them for what they've done, and it's it's raised a lot of questions in England. And obviously Southgate over the years has been ridiculed um for some of his decisions and results and things of that nature but i think now with the world cup just being right on the horizon a lot of questions are coming up because if you look at that england team that they put out against hungary when they lost 4-0 it's maybe not their first team but it's quality all over the field of course i mean they have two full 11s that they could put out that are just quality top quality um and it's you know it's it's one of those things that you know it's 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 crunch time for England and and with the with the heat Southgate's been getting over the years here it's 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 definitely questionable and something that uh something that needs to be addressed and that and that uh and I'm sure he's he kind of got on the team and they're maybe in a better place now but um who knows what Southgate's future might be um I don't think they have time before the World Cup but who knows after depending on what happens in the World Cup and this is just not the right run of form that you want going into the World Cup so yeah, and um, I th- like when you say, yeah, England didn't put out their first team to begin with. However, guys like Kyle Walker, John Stones, Reese James, uh, Harry Kane were all starting. Uh, but then they subbed on, so bearing in mind that Hungary scored in the 70th minute, England did go for it at halftime. They subbed on Sterling, they subbed on Mount, they subbed on Foden. All of these substitutions were before Hungary's second goal. So by the time Hungary scored, their second, uh, you know, it was, it was against uh, something resembling what, what could be a team at the World Cup for England. So they got a lot of questions to answer, like you said. Um, you know, I'm sure maybe the guys weren't taking it super seriously, but given the fact that they had just lost to Hungary, I think that's a pretty embarrassing defeat. For sure. Yeah, completely agree. Bjarn, yeah, you want to you wanna go next with your biggest one? Yeah. Even though they mentioned Hungary, Germany, just for me, so biggest winner. <laughs> just because of the 5 2 massive 
win against Italy. As you guys might know, Italy is almost like yeah, an opponent of beer for Germany. Don't have a good history with them and leading in the game 5 nothing against them and winning 5-2 at the end, I think it was one of the highest wins ever against them. So it has to be them for me. Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, maybe maybe there's a little uh, national bias there, Bjorn. But uh, <laughs> no, but it, but it's a great win. And and like you said, it ended five two. But the fact that Germany was up five uh, nothing at a certain point in time kind of just emphasizes uh, where the two nations are at. And Italy is another country that obviously they just missed out on the World Cup, losing to uh, North Macedonia, and that's a huge deal coming off a European Championship. Um, but listen, Germany took care of business as the Germans do. Um, I saw this great Mueller co- quote uh, yesterday. He was ta- uh, Thomas Mueller, and he was talking about uh, how in Germany they don't emphasize being uh, a special player, but they emphasize the team. And he said, that's why you'll never see any of us winning the Ballon d'Or, but you see four stars above our crests for the four World Cups. And I thought that was super cool. Yeah, completely agree on that. Completely agree. That's awesome. And, you know, you mentioned it's that kind of ties into what you mentioned about Kiel, that family atmosphere, too, um, which is cool um, and something that, you know, I think characterizes German soccer. And another point on that game before I go into my biggest winner, just, you know, Italy's just traditionally historically a defensive minded team. You never see them getting five goals conceded, never get. And, you know, it's that's that just makes it more eye opening to me, that result, just because they're always defensively stout, defensively organized. And that's kind of their their M.O. Um, But you didn't see it in that game. So uh, that's a great one, Bjarni. So for my biggest winner, um, as soon as I saw this news, I I had to I had to I had to give a little plug in um, for them. So it's going to be Tottenham for me this week. Um, So obviously this past week. They confirmed the signing of Basuma from Brighton. Um, and I really love that signing for them. I think he'll be just a steadying force in that midfield. That's something that they've been missing, um, I think, over the years. Um, I think they, I believe they're, uh, Harry Winks is free to leave this summer. Um, so they're kind of buying into Bantacor and Basuma to kind of boss that midfield for them. And I think that's a, that's a great duo. Um, and I, I love what Conte has been doing and what Tottenham has given Conte the realm to do this summer, allowing him to sign five players this window, which is crazy. Um, you already saw obviously Basuma this past week, you see Perisic being another sign. I think that's a great signing for them too. to kind of make, give him some more attacking flair to go on with Son and, uh, Kane. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit last episode, but kind of, kind of breaking into that dominating force of Liverpool and city that we see the last over the last couple seasons in the prem um, making Tottenham more uh, competitive. I, I think Conte can do it. I think he's a world world-class manager. Um, and now that Tottenham's kind of given him the reins to, to make the signings he wants this, this summer. Um, I would love to see, to see them competitive. And obviously they're in the champions league um, to see them compete in that as well. will be awesome. Yeah, man, the vibes are high at Tottenham right now. I mean, Firstly, you want to talk about improbably making the Champions League. I mean, Arsenal basically opened the door and mm-hmm. gave them a little ole into the spot. I mean, Arsenal blew it. Um, and then these these are really good signings. I mean, these might not be the biggest names on the market, the guys that are going to grab the headlines, but Basuma's a really good player. Perisic is, I mean, he's a champion. He's, he's won many titles at Bayern. 
Uh, I, I'm not sure if Inter won when he was there. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. He's a World Cup semifinalist. And he's just he's, he's a really solid, versatile player that can play two or three different spots at a super high level for you. Um, so, yeah, Tottenham's in a great spot. And I think that's a great shout for your uh, winner of the league. Yeah. Um, now, moving on to losers. Oh, okay, this one. This one for me, I'm very passionate about, and uh, I've been looking forward, looking forward to this to uh, to vent. My biggest loser of the week is the World Cup, especially the 2022 edition. Or would it, it will it go into 2023? No, I think it's all wrapped up before all right. Christmas or before the well, New Year. Sorry. Yeah. So listen, uh, I mean, I, I saw something on my phone pop up uh, a few days ago, and it was like. If if the World Cup was in the summer, it would have it would have started a few days ago. Oh, and man. man, man, when I tell you, like uh, my heart just sunk and I had a pit in my stomach, and I was I was just so mad um, because the uh, the perversion of this 2022 edition of the World Cup just rubs me the wrong way um, on a number of different points. Obviously, uh, you know it's not a politics podcast, but there's a ton of human rights violations going on with uh with with how they're setting up the world cup over there in qatar but uh the big the the issue for me that that really just from a soccer standpoint uh just bothers me um is there's a tradition to the world cup it's a summer tournament it's a time of celebration where people from all over the world gather in a, in a place and it's a party like regardless of whether your team does well or your team um doesn't do so well it's a party for for a week and then if you do well a month and then um the other the other point that i would like to make about this world cup uh and and the bad timing of it is just completely screwing these club seasons mm -hmm. um so like for example in, in england in the prem bo the boxing day uh period is one of the most festive periods one of the most fun times but it's also when there's a ton of games um and so now they're not going to be able to play these games, obviously not just in England, all over Europe, uh, during the winter because of the World Cup and all their players are going to be at the World Cup. So it's just throwing everything kind of out of line. Um, it's messing up the club season. It's it's just uh, it's going to feel weird to watch it um, in the winter. And uh, it's my biggest loser because the World Cup is the biggest sporting event in the world. And it's just a little off this year and that sucks because it's normally something you look forward to for four years and then it usually lives up to the hype so just pretty upset about it obviously nothing you can do but that's my biggest loser of the week yeah i was gonna i was gonna mention the same thing or like along the same lines of just just how it's gonna feel it's gonna feel so weird with it being in the winter to me um just so weird and it, it is just so sad that it's not happening right now when it should be unfortunately um but you know i completely agree Dell. that's a great that's a great shout and you know it is what it is i'm still gonna enjoy it in the winter but you know yeah, totally. of course of course you know it's it does it it should be right now that's a, that's the most heart-wrenching thing so <laughs> yeah yeah uh bjarni you want to go ahead with your biggest loser yeah i i stick around with italy i have to and <laughs> Um, also losing, it might be reason for the big loss, losing Chiellini. I think he played his last match two weeks ago, approximately. He was for how long? I don't know how long, like 
probably 15 years or something, the man in the defense, the center back. And I think also, also his leadership will be missed. Will be missed a lot. Um, even though when he was sitting on the bench or whatever around the team, he's just so much appearance. It's insane, insanely yeah. good player, always yeah. been. Yeah, he's awesome. I think he's so so cool because he kind of defies what you look for in a modern center back. He's not athletic. Uh, he's decent on the ball, but he's not like a ball playing center back. Um, but I asked Mario quote, he said, Julian, you could go to Harvard and teach a class on defender. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. that, that's what it's all about. And like you said, Bjorn, he's even when he's not on the, he's so important that even if he wasn't on the field, he's, he's making an impact, just being there, his presence, uh, his knowledge that he can give. And, um, yeah, Italy's Italy is, is a big loser. Um, they had a pretty horrendous international break as well. Uh, they picked up. Uh, you know, one win against Hungary in a, in a, in a hard fought game, two, one to Italy. And yeah, there's just not a lot going. Like if you look at their lineups that they put out, it's weird because normally when Italy puts out their first 11, there's, they're all worldwide stars. And I can't really remember the last time Italy put out a lineup and I didn't recognize a lot of guys, you know, as someone that loves the game myself and I, I stay in touch with it. And, um, yeah, like I didn't recognize a ton of people playing for Italy, and I feel like that's a problem. It's weird, yeah. though. It's weird. It is. It's it's definitely changing. You know, it's that they were an aging team. The 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 Euro Championship, everyone kind of knew that that they were an aging team, and that was a big, a big uh, title for them, just because you know it might be their last, maybe they're one of their last kind of um, hurrahs with that group. Um, but yeah, I mean, going forward, I agree with you. I. I like there, there obviously there's going to be some young Italian stars coming through the woodwork, but the, the teams that they've been putting out, I've been, I've been shaking my head or scratching my head a little bit as well. Um, and I agree. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then the Chiellini thing, I think, you know, he's going to LAFC. I'm, I'm interested to see him in MLS um, to, to end his career. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe chasing some money, but, uh, but I, <laughs> I like the move for him, <laughs> but yeah. Um, <clears throat> So for my biggest loser to wrap us up with this segment, um, I would be remiss not, <laughs> not to vent on this platform about uh, my hometown, Baltimore, not getting a World Cup bid. Um, so it's kind of along the same lines as Dylan's mentioning, but this is for the 2026 World Cup. So for those who don't know, they just mentioned, they just announced the venues for the 2026 World Cup. That's going to be in the United States, Mexico and Canada um this past thursday and after a pretty strong bid from a combined bid between washington dc and baltimore where the i guess the party slash the big event leading up to the games would be in dc at the capital the capital of the united states i think this is the first time and i don't even know how long that the capital of a country did not get a world cup bid with just saying that but um so <clears throat> Party would be there. Game would be at MNT Bank Stadium, right in my backyard. Fantastic proposition. Um, and just it's it's a little bit personal, but honestly, if you look at the, the kind of the statistics surrounding it a little bit, like the DMV, the DC uh, DC Maryland Virginia area, has like 
is just an insanely like the, the the soccer world has grown so much in that in that area over the years and if you look at like viewership for like the prem or from for a lot of the european leagues they set top like dmb sets top five in all those categories yeah. there's so much interest in soccer it's growing in that area it's a it's i feel like a great city to host there would be a lot of you know uh hype surrounding surrounding the world cup and surrounding the games being played there um so for me with the personal things mixed with those kind of little statistics I just threw at you. Um, I think it's, it's very disappointing for me. Um, but you know, I guess, I guess I'll have to travel to Philly or New York to see a world cup game in 2026. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you guess you're going to have to, um, but, but like you said, drags, uh, it's, it is a little weird. It's the nation's capital. Um, the U.S. has 11 cities, which is the most cities uh, between the three host countries. And it seems a little weird to uh, to exclude, uh, you know, the capital of the United States. Um, with, with, like you said, that that does have uh, a very big soccer culture. I think, you know, I mean, for anyone living in America, or at least the East Coast, the DMV is definitely, uh, you know, a, a big soccer area. And uh, I think they're going to, you know, they're going to miss out on that which kind of blows i was just looking at the host cities um to see if there were any that i, I thought you know it could be replaced and uh it was tough there most of them are pretty good I, there's a double up in texas mm-hmm. there's dallas mm-hmm. houston um so maybe the houston uh could be replaced you know could have been dc yeah um but uh you know it is what it is uh it's unfortunate and um Hopefully, hopefully uh, the DMV people will be able to make it out, like you said, to Philly or New York to catch some games still. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at it, too. I mean, it's tough to replace any of the cities that they put. I mean, there's a lot of buzz going around. I mean, obviously, I'm on the the DMV Twitter realm um, Mm -hmm. a lot. but And there's a lot of cities like Kansas City was thrown out. Philly was thrown out. You know, I I don't know. I mean, I think um, I think it's, it's good what they picked. You know, I think there'll be a lot of buzz in those cities. Um, yeah. But, you know, just kind of on a more, more personal level, there's, yeah. it hurts a little bit, but it's all right. Yeah, definitely. Hey man, we're here with you. All right. We'll make it through <laughs> together. Um, moving on to our last segment. Um, we're going to spin the wheel. Uh, this is predicated on uh, the idea that you're at a game. It got delayed or you're there early and you're sitting next to a random fan who you don't know. So we're going to spin the wheel. The five major European leagues are on this. And uh, whatever it lands on, um, we're going to think of something interesting to do with that league. And uh, we're going to talk about it for a little bit. So spinning the wheel. <clears throat> hmm. Oof. Okay, we got an interesting one this time. We got League uh Ooh. Wow. I got a uh, I mean, I, I got something we could talk about real quick and it kind of goes back to one of our earlier episodes, but I want to talk about Mbappe's rejections that he's gotten as the new sporting director of PSG. <laughs> uh he's been rejected by I think three major coaches, one of them being Mourinho. He uh, he's been rejected by Holland. Uh, he's been rejected by uh, I want to say maybe one of either Salah or Mane. Um, but really, what's what's important? The point that I'm going for is he's striking out. He's striking out in this new role, and uh, you know I'm not I'm not going to say I'm happy to see it because I, I root for success for for everyone everywhere. Um, 
but it is an interesting to see because uh, we've never uh, seen this before and he's not really getting all the targets that he wants. So where's it going to go from here? And uh, yeah, I think that's something pretty interesting going on in League One right now. League One in France. Or... Yeah. No, I think, uh, I mean, you talked about that as your biggest loser and I think I agreed unanimously with your, with your analysis. And it's, I think it's good to see some rejection going around. I think it's a little bit humbling because we, we both said that I don't think it's, we don't think it's good for the sport. We don't think yeah. it's good for the game at all. Um, so maybe a little bit of a humbling experience as he goes through this a little bit um, yeah. as he took on this role um, in his contract, but um, you know, um, that's an interesting one. And I think that's the biggest thing going on in Lagoon right now. I mean, yeah. there's, I mean, Mbappe, that's, that's all. I feel like that's all that's talked about. <laughs> that's all that's yeah. talked about what, uh, um, with his new contract and how it's going to look. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's a little bit humbling for him and I, yeah. you know, B- Bjorn, are you, are you familiar, are you familiar with the Mbappe contract? Do you know what's going yeah, on? Yeah. 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 All right. It. So I have a question. What do you think would happen if, so- if a German club did this? Like, let's say Bayern Munich. What do you yeah, think first of all, this would never happen. And then <laughs> it would be, I think it would happen like the, uh, what was it called? The Super League? Super League, they called it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like when all the fans, the fans would go against this club, it would be crazy. I think they would, nobody would come to the game and whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's like so, so much against German mentality. It's, yeah. And I think, to be honest, I'm, in every other of the top five leagues, mm-hmm. it would be the same because every every club is about the club is over every player. It was the same with Messi at, at Barcelona. Said they couldn't afford it, they would ruin the club. So they said the club is still more important than Messi, even though it's Messi. Mm-hmm. And I think this should always be the case, and it's almost everywhere the case, but by but in Paris, so yeah, yeah. it's tough. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. Um, I, I completely agree. I think, I don't know. Was was uh was was Bayern involved in that Super League prospective think, thing? They were. Yeah, but they they rejected. Yeah, they were the one. I think they were one of the first ones to back out. Anyway, and I yeah. agree. It's like completely. It's completely against what I what I view German soccer as, and I know you you know a little bit more than me, but. <clears throat> um, so yeah. Um. Well, um, that's going to be all for today's episode. Um, so first, I want to thank you, Bjorn, for, for coming on today and sharing your shock soccer journey with our listeners. I think, um, I think everyone was able to gain some valuable, invaluable information um, throughout this conversation. So I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Bjorn. Always. Thanks yeah. for having me. Of course, man. Of course. Um, so for everyone else, be sure to hit that subscribe button on our show. Um, and download this episode. Um, also, follow us on Instagram um, for updates regarding postings and, and other things um, at Around the World Pod. Um, and this link will be in our description um, for our Instagram. So, again, thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on Around the World.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.